Well, good morning, everybody. Well, praise the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? I am so happy four of us think the Lord is good. It is great. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord is good to us. He, he is full of mercy. And I believe. All right. Man, I, I'm excited about being home. Love being home. Every, everybody enjoy uh, Dorian, Hurricane Dorian. I know. We did the same thing. We went to the store because we were, in, we were in Arizona and we heard hurricanes are coming, you know. So we, were kept, we kept an eye on it. We thought, are we going to get back in time, you know. And, and uh, Miranda and others were sending pictures of the stores and all the shelves were just barren, had nothing in them. And I thought, man, we're going to have to starve. So we got back, we had plenty of time to buy all the storm stuff that you need, and, and the day came, and Dorian decided to stay, and then Dorian decided to stay another day. Evidently, Dorian really liked the Bahamas. Yeah, so it stayed down there and then finally got up here and we were waiting for the storm. We went over to Miranda's house. We were playing a game of Monopoly and I kept looking outside and I couldn't even see the leaves blow. You know, and I'm thankful on one hand, I'm really thankful that we didn't have to go through that hurricane. Aren't you? Um, on the other hand, I got all ready and nothing. You know, and then I look out, and there's more on the horizon. Have you noticed that? There, there's a new term. There's a new term that they, that they had coined. It's called storm fatigue. And, and I didn't know what storm fatigue was until this week. Now I know. Because if, if they say another, you know, if Hugo's coming or or Hector, or, or another Irma, or whatever it may be, if there's a storm coming our way, I have a tendency to say, ah, I remember Dorian. You ever do that? They said that's the number one problem that they said right now in the hurricane season is people have storm fatigue. They're just so tired of hearing that there's a hurricane coming. Isn't that, a, isn't that amazing? And what happens is, when the storm does happen, they're not prepared. It's kind of like, you know, we, we talk about the end times. I, I, uh, I want to thank you guys for uh, all the cards and the texts and all the words of encouragement. Uh, when we went out this last week, my brother had passed away and spoke at his funeral. And uh, bittersweet time. You know, I got to see a lot of family I hadn't seen in many years. Uh, but it was, it was interesting. I was studying to, uh, to talk about my brother, and I went back to his birthday, January 8th, 1955. January 8th, that's the day Elvis was born, so you have to be pretty good if you're born on that date, I guess. Uh, but in, in January 8th, 1955, I was looking in, in Phoenix, and, and they, had, they were having jalopy races over at the Manzanita Parkway, and they were doing these different things. But the Pentecostal churches in the valley, the Valley of Sun, they were holding end-of-time revival services. January 8th, 1955, they were holding end-time revival services, and, 
and it had the, I, I forget the name of the evangelist, but I could tell he was an evangelist because he had a giant Bible in one hand and he was pointing with his other. You could tell, and he had perfect hair. It was great. Uh, but, you know, but back then it was just like they were ready and, and they were looking at the times and they were saying, man, the Lord's getting ready to come back. The Lord, I know the Lord is getting ready to come back. And they were looking at the signs and then it didn't happen then, but if you remember in the in the 60s, the late 60s, there was a big surge that the Lord was going to come back. And then when they started using barcodes, you remember that? You know, and everybody thought, oh man, am I going to have a barcode on my forehead? You know, go to the store and just run your forehead across the machine? I don't know. Uh, you know, but there's been... Over the years, in fact, since the Lord ascended into heaven, there's been this anticipation of the Lord's return. One of the signs of the last days, of the true last days, is when people get end-of-time fatigue. When they say, ah, they've been saying that since the Lord walked the earth. And it's, it's amazing, isn't it? So in, in our passage of Scripture that, that we're reading, Paul, uh, uh, Peter, rather, he said, I want you to be able to pray. I want you to be able to focus. And I want to talk to you a little bit about, about prayer. In, in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, the Scripture that we read, I like what Paul, he was talking to Timothy, and he was, Timothy is his young protege. He's the one that's helping form churches and start churches and, and develop churches and, and organize churches and getting the pastors lined up and getting the, the deacons lined up and getting everybody lined up in these churches. And, he, and he's talking to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I want you to mark this. I love that, mark this. That means I want you to take note of what I'm saying. Don't let it just go by. I really want you to focus on what I'm saying. Mark this down. I know he wasn't talking to Timothy because of his age. I mean, I have to mark things down because if I don't write them down, I will forget them. In fact, I write them down and then I forget where I put it. But mark this, he said, there will be terrible times in the last days. When you think of terrible times, what do you think of? Earthquakes, hurricanes, wars, terrible times. You know, you know that word terrible simply means this, hard to take. Times that are hard and difficult to take. That's that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Hard to take. You ever, you ever gone through something that was just tough? Hard to take? Hard to wrap your mind around? Hard to, to stand your ground? Hard to keep your own convictions? Look what Paul says after that. He said, I want you to take note of this, Timothy. In these last days, there's going to be times that are hard to take. Hard to stand. He said... People will love themselves. Now, isn't that interesting? That everything that Paul mentions, everything that Paul mentions on these times that are hard to take have nothing to do with physical catastrophes or, or spiritual, uh, spiritual dilemmas. It all has to do with the culture of 
of the human, of the humanity. It's, it's these terrible times, Timothy, are going to come where people are going to love themselves more than they love other people. That they're going to focus on themselves more than they focus on anybody else. That number one in their life is going to be them. It's what pleases them, what they want to do. In fact, it's whatever they want to do, that's what they're going to focus on. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Unholy just means without God. If you think about that, look at this laundry list of things that Paul is talking to Timothy. Nothing, none of them have to do with physical catastrophe. Everything has to do with the spiritual condition of the heart. And he said, Timothy, there's going to come a time. There's going to come a time when the Lord's return that people are going to have end of time fatigue. But the things that you really have to watch out for, it's going to be hard to take living in a culture that is so opposed to anything that's of God or righteous. I, I read this week, I, I found it fascinating that, that uh, I forget the, the author, I think it was Peterson, he, he, and he said that, that the only thing left in an immoral society, the only virtue left is, is that you're supposed to be accepting of everything. Because that's the, only, that's the only virtue left. And he said, he goes on to say, without self-control, brutals, not lovers of the good, but treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's amazing. Lovers of, of things to do. Notice that, notice that, there, are, that there are countless things that, that Paul writes about the condition of the human heart the human spirit, the human soul, nothing about the physical world around them. The last, in, in verse 5, he says, having a form of godliness, of piety toward God, having a form of it, a shape of it, a, a visage of, if you look at it, say, yeah, it's kind of like moving toward God, but they deny the power. What he is really saying is, they're pious on the outside, but they're without true conversion. That, that they believe in God, they say they believe in God, but you see no fruit of the Spirit in their life, that there's no change, there's no transformation. I, I, like, I like what uh, used to be preached, at where when you could tell when somebody was a Christian because Christians just didn't act the way they used to act. Paul said it's going to be amazing that people are going to wonder why you don't run with them to the same extent that you used to. And I, I'm probably getting away from preaching and probably getting into a little meddling, but, but I'm just going to go there. 
I, I do believe that when you are a Christian, when you are following Jesus Christ, there will be a radical change within your character and within your spirit. And the more you follow Christ, the more you will change because it's the transformation of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit within us that the things that you used to do, you just don't do anymore. And the things that you didn't do, that's the things that you're doing now because you are following Christ. There is a transformation. If Paul said, if you see somebody that says, I believe in Christ, I'm trusting in Christ, but they still look the same and they're still acting the same and they're still doing the same thing, don't hang around them. You say, well, pastor, why, why are we talking about the end of time? Because when I look at, at, at our world today, I see a lot of these things. And you say, well, is this the end of time? I don't know. I really don't. Neither do you. But I do know this. I do know this. I don't want end of time fatigue. I don't want the storm fatigue catching me. I want to be ready. I want to be alert. I want to be prepared for the Lord's return. Don't you? And there are some things that you can do in Christ's return has been preached for over 2,000 years. But when you, look, when you look at Mark chapter 25 and you get the parable of the ten virgins, that is a, a parable of, of fatigue. Here's ten virgins that, that they all, the scripture says they all slept while they were waiting for the bridegroom to come. Five were wise and five were foolish. Five had oil in their lamps five did not but they all slumbered and slept but five had prepared five had not and here's peter he's encouraging his audience to pray during these times and he's looking at he said man the time is short he said so i want you to be sober i want you to be clear-minded so that you can pray and i started thinking about why does he want us to pray why should we pray in, when we're in times of peril, when we're, when we're looking at the Lord's return? What is so important about prayer? Do you realize that prayer is one of our greatest weapons against spiritual fatigue? Look, look what Isaiah 40, 31 says. He said, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk, and they won't be faint. They that wait, that wait is not like, oh, waiting. You ever, you ever seen a, a junior high per, uh, kid wait? A lot of impatience, isn't there? When he said, they that wait upon the war, Lord, that, that word wait simply means to expect, to look earnestly. It's, it's the difference of, are you waiting to go to the doctor or are you waiting to go to Disney World? There's a big difference when I'm waiting to go. I have to go, go down to the tax office and get a title change on a car. I'm not looking forward to that. I'm just like, woo, I get to go on down to the DMV and wait. And wait and wait. Only for them to tell me, I am so sorry, you don't have all your paperwork. You'll have to come back again 
and wait and wait and wait. I'm not excited about going to the DMV, but what I am excited about is going to Disney World. Wow, you get to go to Disney World. You get to hang out with the kids. It's, it's just a lot of fun. You get to do that. See, there's a difference in how we wait. If you're looking forward to something or if you're not looking forward to something, if it's something that you're dreading, you're going to try to push it off. You're going to try not to think about it. You're going to try, not, try to avoid it. But if it's something you're looking forward to, then, that, then when you're looking forward to something, then it transforms the way you wait. Scripture says, they that wait upon the Lord, those that expect are looking earnestly for his return. That's what prayer does. When we begin to, to pray, when we begin to intercede, when we begin to connect with God on an intimate level, on a personal level, on a daily level, when we begin to connect with God, something transforms in our lives that we're able to look at our world and we look at it with a different set of eyes. We don't look at it as as we used to look at it, but we see a world that needs God, and we begin to look for His return with an earnest expectation. That's what prayer does. Prayer, prayer transforms us. Prayer transforms the way we think. When David had, had gotten lost hope and he'd been anointed king and, and he had served Saul and now Saul was chasing him and, and David decided to go fight with the Philistines. He was fighting on the, on the wrong side. He was fighting against the people he was going to lead and, and, and God miraculously blocked him and changed, changed uh, his, his, uh, his thoughts and he wasn't able to fight. But when he went back to where his family was and where his where his uh, men's families were. They had been taken captive at a place called Ziklag. And, and it's amazing that, that the scripture says that David, in this time of discouragement, this time of desperation, this time where his, his mind was focused on other things, he had been, he had been led astray in his thinking that David encouraged himself in the Lord. David began to praise God. David began to worship God. David began to seek God and seek God's directions, not how he thinks he should have done it, but how God wanted him to do it. And when he began to seek God, he got the answers that he needed. I'm just wondering today if, if there's someone here today that, that maybe laboring under a false illusion you're looking around and you're thinking man I've been trying to live life but it, I'm just not it's not coming through for me it's not going the way that that I wanted it to go it's not going the way that I wanted it planned and and, and perhaps you you feel like God's been tugging on your heart and, and and you've been trying to live for God your own way and it's just not working out can I encourage you today to as David did, put on that garment of praise and begin to praise God. Begin to worship God in your life. Don't worship God in the expectation of an end result. Just worship Him for who 
He is. Worship God with everything in you. Allow Him to increase in your life. And as God increases, your problems will decrease. That great big mountain that's facing you, when you begin to praise God and you see God in His fullness and you see God in His glory, that mountain shrinks to a place where you can just step right over it. Put God first. I don't know why I'm saying that, but that's free. The rest of it's going to cost you. Paul and Silas, they were wrestling with uncertainty. Can you imagine? Here they are, and, and, they, and they hear from God, and they said, God, God wants you to go this way, so they do. They hear the Macedonian call, they go, and, and they end up in jail. I, I imagine while they were laying, sitting there in jail, they're probably thinking, man, did we hear from God? Are we sure we heard from God? You ever been there? Where you feel like you heard from God and you're, and, you're, and, you're, and you're going in one direction and everything just seems to fall apart and you're wondering, well, God, are you really in this? But the scripture says in the midnight hour, they began to praise God. They were praying. They were worshiping. There's a power in prayer. There's a power in worship that allows God to be all-sufficient in our lives, and it gives us a new perspective. Faith rises. Our, our trust in God increases. We're able to release the problems in our lives when we put God in His proper place, and that is Lord of all. Lord of today, Lord of tomorrow, Lord of our circumstances, Lord of our finances, Lord of our health, Lord over all things. See, Scripture tells us that we are to pray. We are to pray always for all things. So if you're wondering, what should I pray for? You're to pray all the time, and you're to pray for everything. I ever tell you the story when my, my father-in-law was with this guy and he was, they, were, they had gone down to Mexico and, and this guy was a spiritual kook. Uh, that's a nice word, it's a good word. But now anyway, my father-in-law, they were coming back and they had this big box of cookies and every time he, this guy would take a cookie, he'd take it out and pray for it. Lord, bless this cookie. Thank you for allowing me to eat this cookie and he'd eat it. And after about 15 of those prayers, my father-in-law looked at him and said, hey, you know what? Why don't you just pray for the whole box? <laughs> We're to pray for all things. Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How do we seek the kingdom of God, through prayer, through connecting with God. Matthew 9, 38 says this, Pray for laborers that enter into the fields. We are to pray for others that will come in and help and labor. Mark eleven twenty four 24 says, Believe when you pray. So, so there are so many things that we need to pray for. 
and we're to pray for everything. And you say, well, how do you develop that prayer life? How do you develop that, that prayer that we can look for, for the Lord with earnest expectation that when we see the world around us, that it doesn't affect us, but we are the infecting agent, that we're the ones that bring change and the world doesn't change us. Because that's what Peter is really talking about. That's what Paul was talking about to Timothy was don't allow the world to affect you, but affect it. Be effective and not affect it. How do you do that? Through prayer. How do you have a, a, a focused prayer? Well, I'm glad you uh, asked that because Peter gives us to it. It said two things. First Peter 4. He said, number one, be clear-minded. Be clear-minded. You ever been cloudy? You ever have a cloudy mind? Then you drink a cup of coffee and you feel so good. Paul is saying, or Peter rather is saying, be clear-minded, be self-controlled. The two things that we have to remind ourselves of if you want to be able to pray effectively, if you want to be focused in your prayer, if you really want to have a quality prayer life, when you see the world around us during these, the times that we live in or the times that we're going to live in tomorrow or the next day or the next day, if you really want to have an effective prayer life, one that really counts, here's the two things you have to do. Be clear-minded, be self-controlled. Both of them are imperative. When it says, be clear-minded, an imperative sentence, the subject is an unspoken you. You be clear-minded. You be self-controlled. It's inactive. It's active and it's plural. It means everybody, not just one person. It's not saying you do it, but you don't have to do it. He's saying everybody. If you're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, you have to be clear-minded. You have to be self-controlled. It's active, which means you're the one doing the work. You get to decide if you're clear-minded. You get to decide if you're self-controlled. God is not going to make you clear-minded, and God is not going to make you self-controlled. Peter is saying, you do it. There are some things in the Christian walk that you just kind of have to get the inner strength, the intestinal fortitude, and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to be clear-minded. I'm going to be self-controlled. I am not going to eat that second or third or fourth piece of cheesecake. I am self-controlled. Self-control. Clear-minded. Being clear-minded is a choice. It's not allowing the small things in life to affect the way you think and feel. Clear-minded. It's seeing life as it really is. You know, none of us like to, to experience death in our families. None of us like to experience death of our friends and relatives. And I know it's, it's so fresh on, uh, on some of you here. It, I know it's fresh on my, my mind, my heart. But there is one benefit to it of death being so close, coming so close to home. It gives you a clear, keen understanding 
of what is really important in life. All the other stuff just kind of fades away. And the only thing that, that really matters is your relationship with God and your relationship with people. And that is it. Nothing else matters. Houses don't matter. Cars don't matter. Vacations don't matter. Nothing else matters other than your relationship with God and your relationship with people. Because those are the only things that are eternal. Is God and humanity. That's it. So when you, when you look at it from that perspective, and, you, and you're clear-minded, clear-minded is that you're thinking right, and you look at this world and you say, there's a lot of things in this world that could distract me, and there's a lot of the things in this world that, that aren't necessarily wrong, but they will just weight me down. I am not going to indulge in them, or I'm not going to stay focused on them. I'm not going to allow my life to be so consumed with the small things of this world that I miss the big picture that, that God has blessed me, that I have a relationship with God, and, and that no matter what happens to me in this life, it will pale in comparison to the greatness of the glory and grandeur of eternity with Him. Man, clear-minded, realizing that, that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, that there are people that need Jesus Christ. We have that treasure in this earthen vessel, and we are his hands and his feet. Man, there's something that, that, that brings clarity and clarity of mind when you know that, that what is really important is people. If you know Jesus Christ, that's first and foremost. But then it's loving your neighbor as yourself. Can I ask you, when was the last time you had a, a real conversation with somebody? Not, not a conversation where you were thinking about what you were going to say next. But I mean, a real, a real clear conversation. Not one where you were trying to get them to say what you believe so you could walk away feeling good. I mean, a real clear conversation where you were just listening to what they said. Whether you agreed with it or disagreed with it didn't really matter. You were just engaging in conversation and you were catching people. Because if you don't think people are interesting, you haven't been listening. Because when you really listen to people and you really begin to engage in conversation with people, they're going to tell you a lot of stuff. But you know what's amazing? When you really talk to people and you really care about people and you listen to them, I mean, you're really listening to them really engaging in them. There's nothing like it in the world. Getting to know people, not trying to change them to your point of view, just getting to know them. Being clear-minded, knowing what, what really matters in life. It's loving God 
and loving one another. And being self-controlled. I love that, self-controlled. You ever lost control? Being self-controlled. I, I remember driving once, and I, was, and, I, and I was in a Trans Am, and we were trying to go up this, this real steep, icy hill and had big ditches on both sides as me and some other guys and, and we got about three quarters of the way up and the tires started spinning and the car started going backwards and I, I knew I was going to land in one of the ditches but the car just flipped around and I just drove down the hill and everybody said phenomenal driving <laughs> and I did not correct them I wasn't in control. It's kind of a strange feeling when you're not in control, isn't it? When you kind of lose control or you get angry and you say something that you're not supposed to say or, or you, you indulge in something you're not supposed to indulge in. And it, there's, there's something about being self-controlled, being clear-minded, understanding that, that, that your relationship with God is most important and, and relationship with others and being self-controlled, knowing that, that I'm going to unchain my, myself from the affairs of this life, that I'm going to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to have full effect in my life, that I'm not going to go back and do the things that, that hold me back or that deter my relationship with God. Did you know that even arguing with your, with your spouse can, keep your, can affect your prayers? That there are so many things in this world that can affect your, your prayers. But, I'm, but it's getting to that point where you say, I'm clear-minded. And I understand that my relationship with God and my relationship with others is most important. And I'm going to be self-controlled. I'm not going to indulge in those things that will hinder my, my prayer life. And when you get to that point, that's when you can pray effectively. That's when Peter said you can pray effectively. Why? Why is it? Because when you're clear-minded and when you're self self-controlled you understand that to what to pray for because if there's somebody in your life that needs God you're going to intercede for them because you understand that interceding for them is more important than watching the game it's more important than than going grocery shopping it's more important than anything else in the world when you realize that that your prayers are effective and, and fervent and they can transform Form the world that you live in when, they're, when you're praying the will of the Father. We, we downplay prayer way too much. But when we are clear-minded and we know what the will of the Father is, He came to seek and to save those which were lost. And, and we are, we are self-controlled that, that our life is in such a way that it brings honor to God. There's something about uh, thinking right and living right that makes your prayers effective. And when that happens, amazing things will happen in your life. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. I have preached way too long. I know what it was. I actually brought my Bible up here today. I brought the big Bible. You'd say, you brought the big Bible because he felt like he had really something to say. No, it has bigger words in it. And I didn't feel like wearing my glasses. You guys are amazing. You guys are absolutely an amazing church. You are incredible. 
and there is no telling, no telling what God is going to do in your life. I, I am looking at, at, at the next Esther. I'm looking at the next Ruth. I'm looking at the next Paul, the next, uh, the next Timothy. There are people sitting right here that God desires to take you and turn this community right side up for him. And God is no respecter of persons. He wants to use us. And you say, oh, God can't use me. Yes, he can. Be clear-minded. Be self-controlled. Allow the work of the Holy Spirit to have a full effect in your life. Trust in him and see what God will do. Would you stand with me? Man. I'm so excited. I look out here and I, and I see God just, just blessing. God is going to transform your life. You say, well, well, how much is me and how much is God? Yes. Yes. It's partnership. I want you to look at it this way. Of all the things that God could have done, He chose us. When the angel appealed, uh, appeared to Cornelius in, in Acts chapter 10, the angel said, Go get Simon Peter. He'll tell you words where you must be saved. You know why? Because angels have not been given the message of the gospel, angels do not preach the message of the gospel. Humanity preaches the message of good news to the world. You and I. And God invites us into this amazing symbiotic relationship with Him. He says, I have a plan. And I don't want to drag you along. I want you to partner with me. God has a plan. God has a purpose for you. I don't care if you're 8, 18, or 80. It doesn't matter. God has a plan for you. You say, well, well why did your brother pass away at 64? His work was done. You're still here because there is a person that needs to hear the good news. There is someone that you need to encourage. There is a conversation that you need to have. There is a relationship that you need to invest in. There is a person that is drowning in the sea of life, and you have the, the ability to throw out a lifeline. And God is speaking and saying, Let's partner. Be, be sober. Be diligent. Be clear-minded. Be self-controlled. Focus on your relationship with me. Love other people unconditionally. And when that happens, when you do those things, I will pour my blessing upon you. If you're here today and you want to be used by God, I'm talking to 
people that know Jesus Christ, if you really want to be effective and know Him, to be used by Him, it's not about praying until you're super spiritual. It's about understanding that your relationship with Him is the most important thing that you can ever have. Truly following, following and falling in love with people. When that happens, amazing things are going to happen in your life. Circumstances are going to arise that you're going to be able to share the good news, not because you're trying to get points, but because you genuinely care about people. When Paul told Timothy, terrible times are coming, he listed a, this laundry list of things that affect the human condition without love. And we're called to love and to love unconditionally. Would you, would you pray with me? And here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to right now ask the Lord if, if someone hasn't come to mind, somebody that's in your life right now, Would you ask the Lord to allow you the opportunity to partner with him to truly engage in somebody else's life, to truly love 